Hello and welcome. I'm Joe Frost here with my co-host Peter Linus and this is Being Human. Hi everyone. <laughs> Hello. So you've entitled our wrap-up episode I'm Only Human After All. Are you pretending to be culturally relevant there Peter? Yes, I thought I'd just drop in a wee uh, rag and bone reference. Don't put the blame on me though, as he would say. Um, and he also talks about looking higher for a prophet and the Messiah. So I thought, oh, that's all good. We could we could say yes to that. <laughs> okay. But you never like my attempts to be culturally relevant, though, let's face it. I really don't. I mean, I know you're a dad, but the dad jokes aren't compulsory. Um, Easy. <laughs> the listeners love it. My mom keeps emailing me and saying I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, it's funny I don't get the sounds. Anyway, so here we are. We've made it to the end of our first series. Um, so I think it's probably up to our listeners as to whether or not there's a second. Do we give them the say? Mum says yes. <laughs> That's it, then we're carrying on. <laughs> okay. But how do they tell us? Well, exactly. So we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at beinghuman at eauk.org. Um, you can find Peter and I both on social media, most likely on Twitter, um, at Joe Frosty or at Peter Linus. Um, please message. We might respond if we feel like it. Um, uh, Only if you're nice. <laughs> Let's face it. Come on. So we have to confess yet again, don't we, that we had some recording issues and we find ourselves not even in the same country where we're trying to record this because of coronavirus. <laughs> I'm in Northern Ireland this time where we did record some of the early episodes. You're in London. I am in London. I've literally built um, myself a soft furnishings fortress. My children will be very proud of the den that I've constructed. And I am staying here in the open air near the sea, except I'm probably going to London this week. But anyway, that's a whole other story. It's great. It's great. Um, coronavirus, here we come, I think is basically the message. Well, yeah, and we are in the middle of this absolutely surreal moment for our society when we thought nothing could stop us talking about Brexit, and now you barely hear mention of it. I know, I know. It's almost as if the journalists ran out of things to talk about and they'd forgotten how to cover normal news, so found a whole new thing to keep us going for months. Totally, but it is, I mean, we've been chatting just before we start recording, just because this is so fundamental to our question again about being human. Yeah. This goes right to the heart of kind of economic costs and the human cost of this virus. There is clearly weighing up going on by various governments, various organizations. That's the reality. We're not saying we agree or disagree. That That's what happens in these moments. People do those kind of equations. Yeah, absolutely. And even, even at the simplest level of people complaining or advocating for the limitation of personal freedoms to protect the whole, we slip straight back into this, what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be in community? What does protection cost our freedom and how do we navigate it? It's fascinating. The next few months will be very interesting for all of these sort of conversations, I think. Totally. And I'm sitting here in Northern Ireland, where south of the border, Ireland are in total lockdown, like Italy and like the US and many other countries moving towards that. The UK is following a different approach, but a lot of that is about how much we're prepared to limit our freedoms. I, uh, there's obviously huge questions about how you engage with the virus, but underpinning all that are understandings of personal freedom, community freedom, uh, and a lot of people have been talking about the difference in the face mask between the Asian community who wear face masks to protect somebody else. So if you're sick in Asia, you tend to wear the mask for the benefit of others. Whereas in the West recently, what we've seen is everybody trying to get a face mask to protect themselves. It's about the individual wanting the face mask. So we see these massive cultural differences in all that's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And I suppose the big challenge for us as the church is how do we respond in this crisis? How do we make sure that we are non-anxious presence? How do we make sure that we seek to protect um, and that we seek to pray? And what does it look like as we seek to be 
salt and light and Jesus in each of these conversations and each of these scenarios. Yeah, so there's probably loads we could say. This is such a live conversation, but we aren't experts. The situation is changing fast. We may well do something more about this because it is so important. But for now, we are in wrap-up mode for this little first series. Yes. Season. Oh, we've made it to the end. Okay, so we're still excited about this conversation, about what it means to be human. Um, We've been talking online and offline. We've been having these conversations um, all around being human, this contested, this central question that is so key and central to our culture. Um, And what difference does it make depending on which story we follow, the biblical story or the stories that our culture and our world tell us? Yeah, and our culture is absolutely a culture rising humanism. But what's fascinating about that is uh, J.I. Packer, sorry, the legendary J.I. Packer, who I did get to take systematic <laughs> theology with, just to put that in at Regent. He did Name write a book. Dropper. I know. Um, he speaks really slowly, and I had to listen to it in double time uh, afterwards on audio. <laughs> um, but he wrote this amazing book on Christianity, the true humanism. And his premise was simple. Christianity is the most coherent form of humanism. And that'll save you reading the book. And by contrast, secular humanism is historically and philosophically dependent on Christianity's view of the human person. You can't get there without it. Yeah, I mean, that's where we started, isn't it? This whole idea that um, our culture, our understandings, our rights, our responsibilities, they're all built on a Judaic Christian understanding of dignity, value and worth innate in the human being because the human being bears the image of God. So, and at the center of that, the center of Christian thinking, Jesus Christ embodies the union of the perfect and holy God with human nature, uh, a belief expressed in the idea of the incarnation, the incarnate, the enfleshing God taking on human flesh. And the incarnation is understood as the fullest, the clearest revelation of the Imago Dei. Have we agreed how we're going to say that yet? It really I pains me to say the, you're right. Oh, yes. Listeners, just take that, note it. Send in an email just to commend us. Just going to pause. I'll tell you how painful it is to admit that. <gasps> Normally, yeah. I don't mind being wrong, but right now, now, just the look on your face. Yeah. So there is. Time. We did get some feedback that we agree too much, which is ironic because actually, when the mics aren't on, we seem to spend our whole time disagreeing. Um, but for that particular Scottish listener, I would like to note that we did disagree on this pronunciation, and I would humbly like to submit that you reflect on who was correct. I'm moving on. It's so important. Brilliant. Well done. Thanks. Okay. So, um, incarnation, uh, the, the, uh, the fullness of God coming and being a part of this creation, of this world, of our story, is offensive to many. The idea that God would um, degrade himself so much to be a part of us and a stumbling block as Paul would put it to so many, that somehow the creator, the most supreme being, the the author and perfecter of everything could somehow become a human being. Um, We're going to talk about the incarnation more next season, um, but Paul, Paul continues, doesn't he, to provoke his listeners, not just in the idea that God could become a human being, but, but worse still, that human being um, died a criminal's death 
but that somehow resurrection came, life was transformed and the new humanity uniting all of creation, all of humanity into one, uh, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free, all was found in Christ. Amazing. Yes. Yes, and I'm afraid we do have to agree on that one for sure. And the head <laughs> of that new humanity uh, wasn't Caesar. That was what was so radical in that culture, but was Jesus Christ. And how scandalous that was is so difficult for us, the modern person, to kind of get our heads around because we live in a culture that's ultimately been shaped then by two millennia of Christian influence. And, and so we need to go back to the early church um, because the Christian understanding of the human person is best seen then in the practice of the early church. So why, why would you want to make that parallel? Why would you go back to the early church for us to understand today? Well, I think there's so much we can learn from the early church. And interestingly, at this moment, a lot of people are saying around the virus, we need to go back to the early church and its role at that time. But sticking to our point just now, because it's arguably closest to where we are culturally, Roman culture looked after their own, uh, like Western individualism. So it was all about protecting yourself and maybe those very close to you. But Christians understood that everyone was a divine image bearer, that Christ had given his life for all of humanity. And so sacrificial love, charity, as we would now call it, became a primary Christian virtue. There wasn't really such a thing as charity prior to that. Yes, you would look after those who you had an interest in, but not the outsider, not the other. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's so fascinating, isn't it? When, when you look at how that society and that culture was built, where the hierarchies and the, the systems and the values were at play. So pagan culture, you could, you could literally discard unwanted babies, unwanted children, the disabled, the girls, because they weren't seen as valuable. They weren't as important. So they were literally discarded outside city walls, left to die. But the early Christians went outside the city walls, picked up the abandoned babies, and adopted them as their own because they had been adopted into God's family and they were there to image that nature of God to society as a whole. And that's part of the amazing story of the early church. And that's why this pandemic, this moment is so interesting. The early church were known to minister to those with infectious diseases. Um, they didn't do risk assessments the way we do now. They just went for it, um, which is challenging. Yeah. I mean, we're not suggesting please ignore government advice on this sort of stuff. Um, because actually, in this scenario, we're spreading the virus is, is as, as much the priority, not spreading the virus is as much of the priority as keeping oneself healthy and well. But, but there's plenty that we can do that says, no, we're going to lean into this um, situation rather than lean out and isolate. So um, Anne Clifford, uh, wife of our former boss, um, posted on social media this week um, that she'd been going around and dropping a little letter into the letterbox of, of her entire community, inviting them into a WhatsApp group so that people could share what their needs were if anyone was self-isolating and needed deliveries, just generally how to connect the community together digitally because they weren't able to connect physically. How do you lean into the situation and offer that humanity when other people are stepping away? Yeah, which is a very second century idea, apart from the WhatsApp group bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes, no WhatsApp, but but I love this quote. There was this quote by this um, uh, early church father. I, my name. What was he called? Oh my! Oh. Diognetus. Do you remember we had to listen to this and try and work it out? Diognetus. 
Yes, he said that Christians marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, but at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. What a beautiful yeah. picture of the church. It's great stuff. And the pagan emperor Julian said something similar. He put it this way. It is the Christians, philanthropy towards strangers, the care they take of the graves of the dead and the affected sanctity with which they conduct their lives that have done the most to spread their atheism. Their atheism is the way he describes their, their belief in God because they were denying that the emperor was God. But again, it was their actions to the outsiders that struck Julian uh, in, in Christian worship. So so interesting that both of these guys are suggesting that the, sub, the spread of Christianity was attributed to the way that Christianity viewed what it was to be human, what it is to be human, what it is to bestow the dignity on all of humanity. And that's for us, again, why this idea that being human is such a key and important idea. Yeah, that's why coronavirus will be both this challenge and opportunity. I think it's the Chinese word for crisis is, means both those ideas, but for the church, it will be challenge and opportunity. We don't want it. Uh, it's, it, you know, it will lead to suffering and death. We have to be absolutely aware of that and recognize that. But in this moment, uh, we also need to find ways to love the neighbor, to be the church, even if we can't meet as church, which seems like a very real possibility on a Sunday gathering, but we have to continue to be church in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How, how are we gathered even when we're not together? And it goes further, doesn't it? Because if God indeed take on human form in the person of Christ, then the question as to whether or not human life itself is meaningful ceases to be a meaningful question because, because Jesus incarnated it. Therefore, it is clearly true that... Yes, so every life's valuable. Yes. And, and Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century, he was arguing that Christianity held every human being could become one with Jesus Christ, the slave, the soldier, the child, the statesman. And again, we think this is so obvious. We've got human equality locked into our system. But in that day, it was so radical to say, look, everybody could be a partaker in the divine nature. Every person, every action had significance because we could not only worship Christ, we could become like him. We could become one with him. It's kind of mind-blowing stuff that's now so locked for us. That was the game change to say why human life was valuable. So if we jump forward then, humanism today, is still fundamentally shaped by the incarnation of Jesus. Yes, you would try to go from the 5th century to the 20th century there and cut any history I might do. Well, that, that, because this <laughs> podcast is supposed to be current. <laughs> yes, I know, that's right. So the Renaissance, the Enlightenment came along, they saw religion as evil, the cause of stifling of human flourishing. And so they gave rise to this idea of humanism that we see today. Um, but the Christian narrative of a new humanity through Christ was being replaced then. Science and technology and evolution and everything else can answer the question of what it is to be human was the argument. Until people like Nietzsche came along and had a much more pessimistic outlook on what human achievement could look like. In fact, if God is dead, it would be the end of humanity. And the reality is we're all still swimming in the water of Christian thought, whether we acknowledge it or not. It is so deeply embedded. That's kind of the point we want to make. To be human today is to be 
so profoundly shaped by the God story, whether we recognize it or not. And yet, over time, we have seen the rise of secular or exclusive humanism, which has really no place for God or no space to have a meaningful conversation about what God looks like in, in our understanding of what it means to be human. Yes, so a secular humanism just assumes the value of all human beings. They don't even make the case for it. They don't make the argument. And again, unwittingly, the Judeo-Christian view of humanity and human nature is just borrowed. And I can see that you are literally itching to suggest that Charles Taylor might have something to say about this. Ah, my good friend Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher and theologian, um, has been a bit of a guide for us in behind the scenes in this podcast and his book, Looking at Secularism, which uh, really helps understand the current cultural context that we're in. Um, nobody's, of course, read his book because it's 800 or 900 pages long, but everybody takes clips and ideas from it. And he talks about secular humanism or exclusive humanism uh, that suggests that science can answer everything. But the problem is it puts this unrealistic burden on the individual, as we're seeing right now, that we, the individual, have to self-isolate. We have to fend for ourselves. We have to project our own identity. And they're all living in what he calls the imminent frame. And for human beings that have never heard of that, what is an imminent frame? Uh, so have you ever seen The Truman Show? Okay, you really are dating yourself now because I studied it for my A-levels. Uh, I know. So for the children watching, this is a really great film with, um, what do you call him? Jim Carrey. The, isn't that who's the, yeah. the main Other, lead Other. in it? From The Mask, another great old show. Uh, so... Truman Show is like a reality TV show, a movie about a guy in a reality TV show. Jim Carrey is, is the Truman Show. Uh, so he grows up on the TV set. There are cameras everywhere watching him. And he slowly begins to realize that there's something more. He thinks, I think he gets glimpses of a camera. He begins to think, is there, is there a bigger world outside? And in reality, he's living in a big dome, unbeknown to him. And he's scared of water and eventually overcomes that, gets in a boat, rows to the edge of the set, and there's this kind of moment where this kind of hit where the, the boat collides with the edge of the set and it looks like the sky and he climbs up this stairwell and he opens this door and I can still see it. And he looks outside and lo and behold, there's this whole world have been watching him in this made up TV set world where he has lived his entire life. And that's the imminent frame, the little dome that he lives in. That's the world that so many of us are living in in humanism. But there is a world beyond that. And we get glimpses or moments when we think, is there something more like when Truman spots what he thinks his little camera, when he thinks his days are being repeated, when he thinks there's something more to life, this just doesn't feel like there's enough. And so for so many of us, that's maybe a moment of suffering or death or a moment of you know, incredible happiness or a sunset or something that says to us, there's got to be something more. We can't just be a random collection of cells in this life. So we're making the case. <laughs> Sorry, that was the yeah, imminent well frame. That well yes. um, humanism limits the scope of what it means to be human um, and, and yet borrows so heavily from the Christian story um, that whilst Christianity was accepted or viewed as neutral, that is fine. But because it's now being actively rejected, it's got nothing to put in its place. Um, it can't make the, the case for human dignity or value on its own terms because it's got no foundation to build it on. Absolutely. And there's an English author, Julian Barnes, who says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And that is like, the, the, that's the kind of hard cry of so, of so many of my friends, it feels like. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I, I kind of hope he's there at a key moment. 
And that, I think, is what our friend way back in the train in episode one was really saying when he challenged, uh, talked about the challenges of being human and what life throws at him and the kind of hope that there is something more in this world. Uh, and that's where we get then to suggesting that that breaking out of the imminent frame is made possible when we look at the fullness of the God story found in the biblical narrative. That, that the God story of breaking out and being something part of something bigger than ourselves grounds and anchors what it means to be human into the image and nature of God. And that this is, this is true for everybody, whether they believe the story or not, whether Truman knew that he was in a TV TV show or not was irrelevant. He was, and therefore his life was affected by that, whether he recognized it or not. Totally. And we think that story should be winning and convincing people in this moment more than any, but we have shrunk it. We have told the half story. We've started with sin. We have focused on saving souls. We have failed to tell the better story, as Glenn Harrison yes. would say. Yeah, that, that smallness of our story, of getting stuck, on, on the rightness and wrongness of action and redemption um, is so limiting. We've created almost our own imminent frame, but, but when we inhabit the fuller story of creation, full redemption and renewal of all things, this then is when we start to fully explore what being human is all about. And this is the journey that we're on and, and we're, suggesting other people might want to be a part of it. We are. We want people to join us on this journey, absolutely. So we've got a couple of themes that we would love to look at in the next couple of seasons. First one is image and identity. Yeah, we're totally interested, like that fundamental idea of who we are, or our kind of identity in this image-rich world, which is challenging ideas around dignity as well. Mm. Like everybody has dignity, and that dignity is not grounded in something humans can do or what they possess, but is endowed by a creator. Um, and we're then called to be in Christ, to participate in the divine nature of Jesus, as, as, as Peter reminds us. Um, and those who respond to that call have their identity redefined. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sent out on a mission like so much is shaped by that identity conversation. Yeah, so this idea then of personhood and dignity impacts, doesn't it, how we, how we live life at the margins? Um, biological sex, gender, race, disability, challenges, identity, politics rising influence of tribalism, that fracturing and fragmenting of our society and culture, nationalism, populism, the self and the other, all of these things start to interplay when we look at what it means to bestow dignity and value on somebody other than myself. Totally. And we want to, you know, proactively move forward and talk about the recognition of that inherent value and dignity means like we're called to radical acts of generosity and justice and mercy and and those are really framed and built upon that fundamental inherent understanding of our identity, dignity as image bearers. I'm really looking forward to the next bit. Um, and then after that, the second idea that we would love to look at, although technically third, because we've already started with freedom, is this theme around relationships. That we're called to be relational beings in the image of God. We're made for relationships with God, with others and with creation birth, death, life, resurrection, ascension of Jesus changes history forever because he brings his relationships to us and finds us to be reconciled to God in him. This reconciliation is made possible. And that's how we get then, isn't it, into Galatians um, 3, where we're told neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ. What does it mean to explore the idea of relationships 
when it comes to being human. Absolutely. And what does it mean to be relational in a society that's proposing self-isolation at this moment? <laughs> but also what does it mean in a larger society or cultural narrative to honor marriage, to celebrate singleness, to champion the family in a culture that Rabbi Jonathan Sachs talks about, you know, a cultural climate change where there's a breakdown in so many key relationships. What does it look like uh, to teach actively, you know, that water is thicker than blood. It's kind of contrary to ideas like the baptisms fundamental to our reimagining of family in this moment. And the tough conversations around sexuality and pornography and commitment in this moment, but they're they're part of a larger narrative. To be human is to be in relationship. So we've got all of that still to come, and it's it's going to be great. <laughs> yes. Um. So, but this season, this is the wrap up, not just the future focus. Um. We've seen all of these challenging conversations uh, pop up, also for the conversation about what it means to be human in terms of freedom whether it's freedom of religion, speech, rights, responsibilities, justice, protection, um, all in the context of to be free is to be in relationship with God. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and, you know, one of the things we want to do is as we wrap that up, uh, we're saying, look, Christians need to re recover a robust theology and informed notion of what freedom looks like. Positive freedom, freedom for, to counterbalance the kind of atomizing, alienating effects of living in a society that conjures freedom almost exclusively as a negative. What am I free from? What constraints can I step away from in this moment? Yeah, yes. Um, especially when negative freedoms often seems to be the only value where we, we want to employ the idea that freedom is to cut ourselves off. I can do it on my own. I can make my own choices. I have control and autonomy. Um, I, I don't have to worry about what other people do. I've got to be true to myself. Do you do you, whatever makes you happy. Um, these these meaningful or responsible interactions with the rest of the order is is largely the inconsidered in in our in our cultural conversation about what it means to be free. Whereas Christians seek to speak and embody an alternative. Um, what does it mean to lean in? What does it mean to take responsibility for? What does it mean to be free and participate? Yeah, and the hope is that on the journey we've discovered and people have discovered with us that unbridled freedom leads ironically to one of the most insidious forms of human bondage. The denial of limits and human creatureliness effectively displaces God as creator and subsequently underwrites the modern notion that the world is no longer to be understood as setting limits to human freedom, but rather it is simply the material with which human beings can construct their freely chosen future. That's quite good. Yeah, I have my moments. <laughs> Um, you know, and we, we chat about an analogy. We don't entirely agree, I think, on this one. But, you know, when the Harry and Meghan split was going on from the royal family, the story is that they wanted freedom from constraints and responsibilities and the duties of being royals. They wanted to pursue their own agenda. They wanted ultimately to explore progressive roles, as they put it. Yes, but, but they didn't quite get everything they wanted. In fact, they really didn't get the vision that they had that they could have their cake and eat it as they were because those choices had consequences and basically the queen went okay but you you can't have your hr h titles you can't have your sussex royal brand you can't have access to all these privileges because you can't have the freedom of the of the role without the responsibility of it yeah, and listen, all analogies have limits, but like Harry and Meghan, uh, many are living off the God story and what it is to be a divine image bearer. 
uh, and they're still wanting to enjoy the fruits of that story, equality, dignity, and rights. They're eating the fruit, they're taking it from the tree, but they're taking an ax to the very root of the tree that's providing that fruit. And they don't seem to realize um, the kind of hypocrisy of what they're doing. Yeah, I, it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting story to watch it unfold and see what they can't have um, and what they had expected to see their reality look like. And again, we see this, don't we? We see that God's freedom is a different freedom to the one that we're told that we can have and that we're entitled to, that freedom is not opposed to limitation. It, it, it often welcomes constraint because in reality, it requires relationships and interdependence, a sense of belonging, a sense, like I said, of, of relationship and participation because real relationships aren't constraints but they release us to be who we are because we do it in shared subjectivity. Yeah, so society says it's about choice, it's about the individual, it's about being authentic or true to yourself, even if that means walking away from commitments. And the Bible says, look, Genesis freedom, we are absolutely set and wired up from creation to be free. True freedom is found in Christ and that ultimately he models sacrifice and submission in that moment. Yes, the giving over of one's freedom for the sake of another. Yeah. So we are definitely pushed for time and we could talk about this all day, but we were supposed to run, land some, land some wrap up material. So we're not going to review all the episodes, obviously, but we were going to throw some highlights or some threads that we saw driving through this. So um, we did begin right at the beginning. We tried to set out some of the big themes and then pretty quickly you took us into um, Love Island, as I recall. Yeah. Why would I not? I mean, obviously. Um, because... Why did you do that? <laughs> well, because fundamental to freedom and fundamental to the notion of what does it mean to be human is the exploration of desire and are all desires equal are all desires good um can i where did my desires come from love island asks some really fascinating questions around what does success and, and attractiveness look like and can i can i pursue all of my desires unbridled um we desire destruction we desire um, affirmation and encouragement. And then we, we also looked, didn't we, at the Huxley warning that we're going to distract ourselves into tyranny and into um, destruction. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, go on. Well, I was going to jump in. Well, that distraction point really led us into with Facebook. We, we talked a lot about its attention seeking, the attention economy, and it wants our attention so much to distract. Um, it definitely is distorting through its advertising and it's skewing the filter bubbles that we're in and the kind of information that we're getting. And it has incredible dominance. So we picked on Facebook a bit because it's so big and so many users and its ability potentially to exclude people and its influence globally in places like Myanmar. So we, we kind of pushed into that quite a bit. Yes, we did, because what we were suggesting was that we ultimately didn't care what Facebook and some of these other global conglomerates were doing to others because it was meeting the desires that we had for ourselves. Um, and uh, desire is the fuel that, that it is the engine of our humanity, but desires out of order and desires that are not rooted into the relationship that, uh, that we have with God and who God calls us to be. That's the disordered, that's the deforming part of who we are. So justice then becomes the advocation and the seeking after freedom not only for ourselves, but for others. What does it mean to pursue the lack of freedom um, that somebody else is experiencing and advocate for their freedom 
in an unjust society. So that got us into this idea of jubilee, of making sure that there isn't a societal injustice that is passed on throughout the generations, the cost of poverty. And what does it mean to be poor? Is that a lack of wealth or is it um, the root of injustice? Um, and just thankful for St. Augustine and his pushback on Pelagius, uh, good old Pelagius, because it, he reminded us that those individual freedoms going after what I desire um, is fundamentally opposed to what it means to be part of the new humanity in Christ. Yeah, Augustine's so good, isn't he? As our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you, God. And we are restless, desiring, seeking beings. And uh, he's just been another one of our guides as, as we've jumped through some of this stuff from uh, dating apps to Nike trainers and through to China's social credit system, which has really come back on the news again with the, the virus, their ability to shut down areas, their abilities to track people where technology could lead. We're seeing that with the facial recognition, the tracking software. If you read around China right now, uh, to get in and out of buildings, to get anywhere, you've got to have your health card, you've got to have a screening device, an app, they swipe you in and out. And that has implications for religious freedom at home and abroad, abroad that has implications for everybody's freedom. That's exactly why we're responding differently to the virus. Um, and uh, it's huge implications for democracy, what it is to be free and what it is to be human. Is, this, is democracy itself under threat in this moment and should we care? Exactly, exactly. And, and th that conversation around democracy, that um, question as to whether or not we should care um, brought us to Tim Farron um, and his um, uh, assertion that liberal, uh, the libertarian parties, the liberal parties is eating itself um, because it is incapable of tolerating the intolerable um, as they see it. And then the pushback from Jordan Peterson um, around uh, offence and control um, and order. Donald Trump and how we handle people that we fundamentally disagree with. Is it cancel culture? Is it no platforming? Or is it disagreeing well in a plural public square? Um, and those conversations are essential for us as a society to work through and wrestle in order for those freedoms of humanity to flourish and prosper. Yeah, and some of the current trans debate we just touched briefly on is a reminder of that contested public square. I think we as Christians often think that we're the only ones who are being pushed back, who are, who are engaging in a contested public square. But you talk to feminists, you talk to lesbians, you talk to others, they'll say, all views are contested. You talk to Richard Dawkins, he feels his views are contested. Everybody feels the contesting at this moment. So how do we hold up a mirror so we're not as oh, defensive? That's a reflective device before you begin. <laughs> the thing on the wall, you look at yourself in a mirror as I like to say. Um, so I, I think I'm now being mocked for my accent. I need a safe space, people, to protect me in. Uh, we need to ask better questions of others. Just that I'm, <laughs> I mocked you in episode one for this, and now it's come up. I'm so happy. This is a public mocking viewers. I think I need help. I'm going to HR to complain for a safe space right now. Um, I'm being bullied. Excuse me. Um, you got me for the Imago Day earlier. This is only fair. <laughs> It's fair. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're, we need to get better explaining what we believe. We need to get more proactive in the public square. We need to be less on the defensive and contested. We need to get out there and talk about the, the breadth of this Christian story that understands more fully who we are in this yes. moment. We've got to be confident in the story that says you don't get a full understanding of what it means to be human without an understanding of God. Um, Genesis sets us that scene. Um, it calls us into life, to know life, to know the source of life. And that is made possible through knowing God, 
through Jesus because we are all bearers of his image, whether we recognize that in ourselves or not. Totally. So we've got about a minute left. So we're made in the image of God. He breathes his life into us, his nefesh into us. He places us in his temple, which is the whole of creation. We are each and every one of us, his priests and priestesses. We steward that into this place. And That's Genesis, you're on yeah, Exodus. Go, go. go. Um, So Exodus reminds us that this, liberta- this libertarian God, this God, the bringer of freedom, asks us then to follow him, to root our practice in the way that we live in relationship with him. So we've been talking about the different practices, the impact that the discipleship has in not allowing our formation to be done by the stories that we hear that our culture is ringing with at the moment, but instead to reform and reorientate ourselves around practices of prayer, of Sabbath, of slowing down, of stillness, of rest and space, of coming back to the nature of God and how God shows us to live through the practices of Jesus. And then we jump right ahead to the center of the story. God takes on human flesh, the incarnation, the divine in the skin. I have come that you might have life to the full. John 10, 10 and Matthew 16, he wants to lay down everything for us. The road to freedom is through the cross, the radical kind of story right at the heart of this. So good. And that route through the cross leads us into transformation because it is the transformative power of the cross, the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus that means that we can be free to live a full life in the presence of God, in relationship with him. Um, Forgiveness is possible. Reconciliation is there for the taking. And that is a beautiful story of what it means to be human. Amen. Again, we'll agree on that one. (laughs) So (laughs) we are done. We have made it. And if you have made it to the end of this first season, we have. We hope you have. Might be the only season. That's up to you. So you got to let us know. you got to get in touch. Email beinghuman at eauk.org. Follow either of us on social media. We will read the comments. We'll respond to the nice ones. <laughs> okay, great. Um, we also, this is part of a bigger project um, of what it means to be human and how we have this conversation and in society today. So do check us out on eauk.org if you would like to support the work of the EA, if you'd like to join us become a member find out all about what we do what we stand for and why we're passionate about it you can find it out all there so do check it out um and hopefully this has been a good thing for you to do because we've loved it yes we have and our hope and our prayer is that the full god story will be told and inhabited that we are not simply surviving in this moment but we are thriving in this cultural context so for the last time please do subscribe uh, to the podcast. There will be bonus episodes coming uh, in the next few months and then we'll be looking to season two, hopefully. So check us out, tell people, uh, rate and review us, get the word out. And until we see you next time, take care and God bless. Bye. Be blessed. Bye.